Good culture does not just happen by accident. It's something that organizations craft and develop over many years in some cases. John Kavanagh, Group HR Director at Kintec, knows this better than anyone. Witnessing our business evolution over the last 36 years, he knows more than most about how we've shaped the culture we hold dear today. One that he says carried us through 2020 and will accelerate us into the future. I'm Mandy Kennedy, Head of Learning and People Connections at Kentec, and I've worked for and with John for over 10 years. I owe a lot to this guy. In this conversation, John and I use the magic of technology to talk to each other from our homes, and you may hear some interesting sounds of our neighbourhoods throughout. John shares with us why a combination of the Irish weather and a lost pair of Wellington boots transformed his career path in a way he never expected and his advice for the next generation entering the industry. This is Spark Generation. John Kavanagh, hello and welcome to Spark Generation. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm doing great, thanks, John. Thanks for joining us. Can you start us off then by telling us a bit about yourself and the people that you share your life with? Okay, um, right, um, about myself, well, I won't go back to the beginning, but look, right now, uh, uh, I'm 65, uh, I've been married to the love of my life, Marion, uh, my best friend, in fact, we celebrated 40 years last Saturday, and she was a bit sad, because, but we did it over Zoom, and it was great. And we had a we had a really nice uh, couple of hours on a Zoom call and a few glasses of wine. Last, but we'll do a proper celebration uh, when I get home next, uh, which hopefully won't be too far away. Um, so that's Marion. Uh, been together a long time, and uh, I have two children uh, who are actually quite adult at the moment. Uh, owns my son. Uh, Owen is uh, he lives in the family home and. Uh, uh, he's a very passionate young Irishman. He's uh, he's had some health challenges over uh, recent years, but he's doing good at the moment. And uh, in fact, he's just got a new job. He's just about to start, which is fantastic news. Yeah, uh, Emer, my daughter. Emer is a uh, she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's the as we say in Ireland, she's the apple of my eye, right? And uh, she's. Uh, She's a, a speech and language therapist. She works away from home, but she comes home probably most weekends and checks in for a, a night or two. And uh, she, she's like a sister to Marion quite often, yeah? Um, and then we've got Roxy and DJ, our two dogs. And uh, Roxy, uh, Roxy's 15 and uh, she's, uh, she's almost gone blind and she's gone a bit deaf as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, funny. I was home for for a, a while during the whole COVID situation recently, and uh, she was my best companion. She spent most of her days asleep under my desk while I was on Zoom calls and Teams calls. And uh, yeah, but look, um, she's she's hanging in there, and she's a great she's a great dog. And uh, you know, and DJ is a bit more feisty. Uh, but uh, that's that's my family situation. Um, in terms of me, I don't know, 
right? I, I guess it, this told me to tell Mandy, maybe you should ask me a few more questions, right? <laughs> That's great. I'm pleased to have met just about all of the Kavanaugh family at one point or another. And I know that Marion yeah. especially is a great kick. So yeah. congratulations on the anniversary. Yeah. Um, actually, before we go any further, John, in the famous words of Simon Sinek, I want to start with why. Uh, Simon's philosophy around starting with why something that was introduced to me by you. And it was back in 2013, you'll probably remember, uh, Kintech was on a bit of a journey of discovery around who we were as a business and a big transformation followed that time. Um, and I know this is something you encourage people in Kintech to start with at the beginning of programmes or projects. You always encourage us to kind of pause and start with this question. So, John, what is your why in life and, and how does that shape what you do in your job? Yeah, I mean... It's one thing to come up with a sort of a, a theory that everyone should start replying, but it's not so easy to actually pet it for yourself. And I've struggled with it. I, I really struggled with it. And uh, and I can change my mind about it from time to time, which is even worse. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess if I was to pin it down, it's sort of almost like saying, why not? Um, so I, I tend to take, uh, you know, I tend to try and um, stand in a different place, if you like, to look at something from other people to see, you know, is there, is there a different option? Is there a different way to look at it? Because sometimes uh, the best solutions are not the obvious ones. And it's important, I feel it's important that everyone tries to take a different perspective. But I, I definitely, you know, particularly when, you know, in our business sometimes, uh, or in life generally, uh, people tend to think there's an obvious answer, but uh, it's really important to turn it over and look at the other side or look at it from a different angle. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's really, really uh, important. So it's what I keep um, sort of prompting myself. When when sometimes you tend to go with the flow is to just take a stand back and uh, take a different view of it. Um, it can be a lonely place sometimes because um, you quite often find that people resent uh, maybe your stance and you appear to slow down the process. And sometimes you do as well. And the other thing is, is that quite often, uh, and more often than not, you're not right. <laughs> the, the best answer might be somewhere else. But it's really important to ask the question, I think, because every now and again, you come up with a gem. You come up with, I don't mean that I come up with a gem, the, 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 the group comes up with a jam, but it's because somebody has challenged, somebody has decided, hey, let's not accept uh, the norm here. And uh, so I think, you know, that's a long-winded way, I suppose, of trying to describe what my why is about. I love that. Thanks very yeah. much. And when you're not rocking the world of HR, it can take. Uh, what else brings you happiness in life? What kind of things do you spend your time doing? Yeah, they're funny because I've sort of, uh, I, 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 I'm not saying I have two lives, but, you know, I try to spend as much time with the family as possible. But that, that's been a challenge over the last 10 years. So uh, I, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, in Dubai without the family. So uh, I try to focus on things that uh, sort of um, just uh, keep me balanced or more balanced than, than otherwise would be the case. Uh, so I do things like I, I focus on health and fitness and sort of stuff like that. Um, I spend a 
uh, I try to get to the gym regularly. Uh, I've recently started even doing boxing, which uh, is invigorating. And, uh, you know, I, I find it's important. It's a little bit, like I said earlier, to keep freshening things up and try different things. Um, so that's what I've been doing recently. I've been doing a bit of yoga as well, which, uh, you know, uh, is very interesting, but extremely, um, you know, I find it extremely beneficial. And I'm sort of experimenting with, uh, trying to experiment with meditation because I think there's there's something there that that's, uh, that could be quite quite beneficial. Um, I'm into music. I play the guitar. Um, it's mainly for my own amusement, but but uh, um, I've I've gotten involved with uh, with a group here in Dubai. Um, we have this group called uh, Home Concerts, and you know it's not working at the moment, obviously because of COVID. But um, typically. Uh, you know, people would would uh, open up their house or their, their apartment uh, for sessions and it's free and everybody comes along and it's a sort of a, uh, everybody who wants to play can play. So it's been really good because um, it sort of challenges you. And, you know, I found it, well, I, hopefully, as far as I'm concerned, I think my standard has improved over the last few years because I've been doing stuff like that. But, um, but it's, it's, look, there's nothing better for me to come home from work after a busy day and, uh, you know, sometimes you feel like putting, sticking the telly on or browsing the internet or, you know, maybe uh, opening a bottle of wine or whatever. Um, but there's nothing better than picking up the guitar for half an hour and just amusing yourself. It's really, uh, it helps to chill you down, sort of gets you ready so you can go and get a sort of a, a decent, nice sleep. Um, so, um, yeah, that's they're the type of things I try to do. Obviously, when I'm at home, uh, yeah, you know, so your time is much more limited. I try to do, still do some of that, but um, uh, but do other things as well with the family when I'm at home, yeah. So. That's great, thanks. And can you tell us what brought you into the world of HR? I mean, what, what's your journey up to this yeah. point of your life? What's it like? How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose there was nobody as confused and mixed up as I was at a 17 or 18-year-old secondary school and uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. I, I knew what I liked doing. I liked playing sport and I liked a bit of art and liked a bit of music and I liked socializing. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I didn't really have a clear view what I wanted to do in the world. And, and uh, you know, in rural Ireland in those days, uh, you know, things like art and music were sort of regarded as hobbies rather than as, you know, some maybe, maybe career pursuits. My father had a huge influence on me and, uh, you know, he saw the world in sort of things he understood and, and, and you know, so he understood sort of construction and building. So he thought art, what about architecture? So he somehow persuaded me that maybe that's where I needed to be going. And uh, uh, anyway, I, I didn't get really good results anyway. So I ended up doing one of these uh, diploma courses, um, sort of, I don't know, it was architectural technician or uh, construction study, something like that, which could lead to architecture if you if you spent long enough at it and if you were dedicated enough to it. And I wasn't. <laughs> so after a couple of years, I, I, I sort of got out of that and ended up uh, taking a job with um, a building contractor in Ireland and uh, traveled around for a couple of years as a sort of a junior engineer. Um, uh, some great uh, experience um, 
and, and I enjoyed it up to a point. Uh, and uh, I felt I felt it was something that a lot of it I liked. But one thing I didn't like was the Irish weather, because uh, in winter time uh, we were um, we were um, building a factory up in uh, North County Tipperary. Uh, and they decided to build this factory in the middle of, uh, there was a well underneath the site. And uh, so there was water. Every time you, you excavated the foundations, they were filled with water within an hour. And it was just, it was awful stuff. And it was November, December. And I remember uh, the uh, project manager we had at the time, he had this irritating habit of ordering uh, four or five um concrete trucks to deliver on a Friday afternoon about three o'clock and he would head home and leave the rest of us uh, if you like in the you know what to get this uh, work done and I always remember losing a pair of Wellingtons in the mud and you know walking back into the site office like mud up to my hips and trying to dry off and get into the car and I swore never again that was it it was over I need to do something else anyway look that's it that's at maybe a bit of a long story. I went off and did a few other things and ended up, I don't know, a few months later, getting a job with a company in Dublin called ICDS. And uh, if, any, if anybody has ever heard of the the, uh, the TV series that was on a few years ago called Off We The Same Pet, it was about construction workers in Germany and Europe, um, you know, back in the, uh, late seventies, early eighties. That's exactly what this was. So I ended up working in Holland and Germany for a couple of years, um, going around and it was fantastic. Um, you know, uh, fantastic experience in those days. Yeah. But you know, it's a bit like, I don't know, uh, a lot of Irish and British people were doing that at that time and it was extremely enjoyable. But anyway, I, I, I then met my wife at some stage and we got this notion we might get married. So one of the things I need to do is try, try, try and find a job at home. So the company I was working with had some work in the office in Dublin, but it was focused on recruiting for the Middle East. So I ended up back in the office in Dublin being uh, being uh, in charge of recruitment of engineers of all sorts for Saudi and places like places I'd never been. Uh, and uh, it was really, and I learned a lot. Um, spent three or four years there. And uh, lo and behold, uh, a company called MF Kent uh, down in Tipperary, who had, who were in the, uh, particularly in the Middle East, in the overseas market at the time, oil and gas, something I had no idea about, by the way. Uh, I ended up getting a job with them. And it was great because with the young, a young family at the time, it was great to move out of uh, what we call a, a, the big smoke Dublin and get down the country because life was a bit easier with a young family. Uh, so life uh, kicked off life in the oil and gas with uh, MF Kent and uh, it was a new world uh, completely new world and sort of so really since then it's been MF Kent and, and a little and a little interlude out of the business for about a year and then it was back into Kentech and that brings me right up to date but HR was just a pure accident I mean the recruitment role turned into a HR role uh, but it was never something I set out to do it's amazing to hear you tell that story because that, that was clearly just the time where things were, it was really opening up a whole new chapter that's now introduced you to all of these countries, all these countries you were recruiting for at one point and had never been yeah. to, and now you've probably been to them all multiple times. 
yeah, for for mm -hmm. sure, for sure. Um, I mean, uh, if I'm honest with you, and I've often thought back to it, that time I took the job to go to Holland and so on, I really had no intentions of working abroad ever in my life, but that whet the appetite. And uh, the Cairns thing obviously continued that. And I remember, you know, apart from working in Holland and so on, the next time I worked abroad, which really, you know, you don't consider working abroad, I moved across the UK with Cairns. I did some international travel, but in terms of a relocation, and I went to the Middle East and, you know, I've been all over um, uh, since then. But, uh, you know, some, some really interesting stuff. I mean, um, I always remember, uh, it was not, not around 1986, uh, my old mentor, a guy called Eddie Blackmore, who was the personnel manager at the time, because there was no HR then. <laughs> and Eddie, Eddie uh, I, was, I was just going off on holidays. Now in those days, we, did, we, we couldn't afford uh, um, holidays in the sun. So we were, I think we were just taking a local holiday in Ireland. And I just started my holidays on the Monday and I got a call from Eddie um, and he said, I need to see you. So he said, I need you to go to India. <laughs> we just landed wow. and got that job. I think, I, I think the job was in Oman or somewhere like that. And um, so essentially, uh, within two or three days, I'd, I'd gotten a visa and uh, I was on the way to India. Uh, first time in my life, 1986, and uh, on a recruitment campaign uh, for a couple of weeks. And, you know, talk about an eye opener. Uh, I remember uh, arriving in Bombay, and as it was in those days, uh, in the middle of monsoon and it was like, a, it, it was a different world. Like, it, there's no doubt about it. I mean, India is a changed country nowadays, but then it was at least 30, 40 years behind uh, what they say Europe in terms of uh, what was happening and in terms of culture, dress and so on. And it was it was, it was an eye-opener. And uh, I could tell you a dozen, I could actually spend the next hour just telling you about that, that trip alone. Uh, but it was it's bizarre. I remember getting out of the car, having arrived at the uh, recruitment agency office, and there was about, to me, it seemed like a thousand people waiting for me, right? <laughs> because they had they had been getting telegrams from the agency for the week from the week before that. Because the that was the only communication that worked in those days. And they'd probably be travelling for three or four days to reach Bombay, and they were sopping wet. And they had their qualification documents in a sort of a plastic pouch. That was the only thing that was dry. And they waited then for probably three, four or five. It could have been a week. I can't remember really. Just to get in for a 10 or 15 minute interview. Uh, so that, that, was, that was bizarre, yeah. Uh, it's good to think we, we don't rely on telegrams for recruitment any longer. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been part of, uh, you know, this other stuff. Uh, I remember, you know, probably later, uh, I've been back to India many, many times since. And it's very interesting to watch the progression and how, how, how the country has advanced. And uh, certainly uh, nowadays it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the internet has been responsible for joining the world up uh, quite a lot uh, in the meantime, I guess. Um, I, I, I uh, another, another, uh, I mean, 
great story. One time, I think it was more recently, but it's probably still 15 years ago. We, uh, as Kentech, um, we uh, we wanted to uh, recruit um, some cable pulling gangs for some of the work we were doing in the UAE. And so I ended up going on a trip to Nepal. Uh, I'd never been there before. And uh, I was in India at the time on, on, on another campaign when when the decision was made. So uh, a good friend of mine, um, Shilendra Negam, uh, uh, helped me out and we headed up to um, Kathmandu uh, to recruit, I don't know, it was a couple of hundred cable pullers um, over a couple of days. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was it was the most bizarre experience I've ever uh, what I've ever experienced. But uh, what they did was they, they brought us in and Kathmandu, the airport in Kathmandu, it had, uh, there were no computers, and there was no AC. Well, they had the big fans spinning on the roof and everything was done on paperwork. It was unbelievable. And I think they, the time difference, GMT time difference is sort of four and three quarter hours. So it's, it's not even on the hour, it's not even the half hour, it's four and three quarter hours, which was bizarre as well. And um, we uh, they did uh, the way they tested the cable pullers, because we went into this sort of um, yard and we were sitting down. It was like, we were like three judges at the X Factor and they brought in uh, probably 500, 600 candidates. And they basically got them all to lift a 50 kilo uh, bag of sand and run 50 meters one direction and 50 meters in the other direction. And they weighed them and they marked them out of 100. And that's how the selection was done. Um, but, you know, it's just, it was it was absolutely um, the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen, you know. Was, uh, this, was this deemed to, was this kind of seen as a way to uh, gauge their strength and kind of physical ability? Was it, was that really? The well, only, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the bizarre thing about it is some of the little guys were much better at getting the 50 kilo bag of sand onto their shoulders. <laughs> And and getting and and this was done in flip flops in the rain. It was uh, it was uh, it was bizarre. Some of the big guys really struggled, you know. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, it was. How much has changed over the years? Um, yeah. And and leadership, something else we talk about a lot, John, is having changed so much over the years. So looking back then at that time, kind of in your career and in the industry. What did leadership look like back then? And, and kind of what, what changes have you seen in leadership styles over the years as well? I don't think the, lead, the even the word leadership really was on anybody's radar. Uh, it was different. It was a different place. I mean, back in the eighties, uh, I got into HR. HR was looked very much as, as, as I said, it was the personnel department. Uh, it was very very much to do with transactional stuff and and certainly in the business we were in it was all about recruitment tonight if you weren't recruiting hr you know um hr weren't busy um, and that was sort of the art secret so go back to your question i mean what did leadership look like uh could have been quite brutal at the time because um uh, you know there weren't a lot of jobs around and people were fearful particularly you know um i have great love for the MF Kent Browns and, 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 and the whole uh, Kent, uh, Kent's uh, journey over the years. But in those days, um, you know, 
people were quite fearful. You were in, you were in sort of rural Ireland, and you know there wasn't a lot of job. There weren't a lot of jobs around, so we put up with stuff that certainly you wouldn't put up with nowadays. And certainly some of the we call it management styles were were uh, could have been quite brutal. And uh, you know, but it, it wasn't. There were some there were some really decent people, there were some really good leaders even then, but we wouldn't have recognised them in the way we describe them now. Uh, but you know, there was some bad stuff too. And, uh, How would you say that's changed with the, today's generation and the kind of the, the 2020 mindset? How would you say we've evolved as a business and an industry around those leadership styles? Well, it, it's, the, you know, I mean, I think it's evident that uh, the high performing organizations uh, have policies and practices that uh, you know that engage, and I, mean, I don't want to use the word engage, but but let's use it for a minute. But basically, that connect and um, connect with people. It it says to people you're valued. It says to people you've got um, your opinion is 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 worthwhile. Uh, you can contribute. Um, you can develop. You can grow. If you're not saying those things to people nowadays. Uh, you're you're actually really restricting uh, uh, your organisational ability uh, to to um, to progress and, and and develop, and and you're not going to get the talent. People people will will walk nowadays. They won't hang around. They won't put up with um, uh, with you know the type of practices um, that don't uh, look to tap into people's uh, real value, intelligence, contribution, um, and offer them something more other than, aren't you lucky you have a job, which a lot of us had to, as I said, the early part of my career was very much, you're lucky to have a job. Uh, but those days are long gone. Even in the current environment where, you know, you've got a lot of turmoil in the world, there might be an element of that around, but still, um, I think the world has changed forever. With regards to the mm -hmm. um, it's going to it's going to be even more important as we go forward. I love that, and I'm really grateful that that shift has happened in in our yeah. industry and in the world in general. And certainly, yeah. one of the reasons why I I am happy to show up at, at work every day mm -hmm. with Kentwick because yeah. we do seem to hold that very close. So, you mentioned that they're 2020, John. Wow. An exceptional year for so many reasons, but mostly due to world worries, pandemic, and of course we had a major oil price decline as well. What do you think these uh, these major kind of changes have meant for the people in our business, and and what would you say values have, have we um, held important to us as we've navigated our people through this year? Yeah, I think that it's evident that talk about values and culture and so these are not things you can switch on uh you know you can't just decide uh to uh to care about people overnight or to care about uh the issues that people are are are, 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 are value themselves overnight it takes time um You'll remember back in 2013 and 14 um, when 
I guess we recognized that in Kentech at the time when we sort of decided what we were doing up to that point, we had to change it because we were having, uh, we were having some issues that, um, that we were finding it hard to get past, but we, we came up with this whole thing and we did K2 in our charter. And that, that was a sort of a, that was a, that was a shift in direction for Kentech. And you'll remember, well, uh, well, the business, we we're trying to get the business to understand what we were talking about. And in fairness, we, we had gotten the attention of our, our leaders like John Gilly and Sarah Kent uh, from the onset, but the wider audience were sort of asking, well, okay, but when is this all going to be done? Uh, and when, when, will be, when will it be finished? And uh, we, we came up with a, this, uh, this concept because we were talking to engineers and project managers of a five-step strategy and that was going to take 18 months. My God, when I think of it. Yeah, uh, it took a bit longer. And sorry, and, and the journey is continuing. But the issue is that I think what we did in those days or what we managed to do is we managed to change the mindset and get the mindset moving in a different direction. And some really good things have followed from that. Uh, we've had the likes of, you know, okay, K2, uh, our charter, we've had, we are family, all of this stuff is building. And then when we did Engine for Growth a couple of years ago, and, you know, some of the subsequent uh, organizational changes, uh, when we came into 2020, uh, I think there's a couple of things. We found ourselves in the right shape to be able to do what needed to be done in this environment. And we had the right mindset. So, you know, maybe maybe we're a bit lucky uh, to be in that shape. And I think we had some good performance leading into the year as well. So the whole thing culminated. So really, in a way, I'm looking at 2020 and I'm saying, actually, uh, the slump of the oil prices and COVID and so on actually provided an accelerator for where Kentech wanted to go. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept because you know, as as we move forward, and people like to say, as we move out of this, maybe we won't move it, but as we move forward, um, I think it pushes Kentak right to the front of the pack in terms of, uh, you know, putting us in the best position, uh, whatever the future uh, is going gonna, is gonna to bring. So, um, you know, and I, and, I, and I think that as we went through a lot of this stuff we had to do this year, some really tough stuff and so on, it didn't really take it, some really tough stuff, but it didn't take didn't really take long to get people's heads in what needed to be done. And the speed in which we were able to act, and the speed in which we were able to get things done, were phenomenal. Right? With hindsight, lots of companies are still out there struggling to try and affect changes that they probably decided they need to be looking at six months ago, and they're still struggling. We've got them done, and we're in. We've actually reshaped, and uh, we're looking to catch. You know, uh, the next wave into the future. Uh, so that's my take. That's great, John. And the future. Um, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but I know that um, that history you talked about back from the time you started with MF Kent, it's a timeline of about 22 years, I think just over yeah. 22 years you've celebrated yeah. within our business. Well, um, 22. Sorry. Uh, 22 with Kentec and I think 14 with MF Kent. Oh my goodness. Oh. That's a fair run, John, as they say. And yeah. um, 
And I think beyond that, you're reaching quite an interesting milestone in your career soon. Can you share with us what that milestone is and, and what does the future look like for you, for John Callanan? Yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm stepping down from the role uh, and I'm, I'm exiting the UAE. Um, and it's all, in fact, it should have happened last June. And look, I'm not exiting, exiting overnight. Uh, I've got something, you know, I've got a, a consultant, but I'm stepping down from my current role uh, sort of as soon as possible. Um, probably happening between now and the end of the year. Um, and uh, as soon as we get another solution in, in position, uh, it will happen. Uh, but it's not it's not something, something that's happened or it's not a, a decision that's uh, been made uh, recently. This is something that I've been looking at for a few years uh, because I think I mentioned earlier, I've been spending too much time away from the family and we'd originally intended that Marion would spend more time in the UAE, but sort of the way things worked out uh, overall in the family, uh, that didn't happen as frequently as we'd liked. Um, so, um, yeah, it's been it's been something that's been brewing for two or three years where I, I needed to, to sort of change. Um, so I agreed uh, an exit strategy with Sarah, Sarah, I think probably it's nearly 12 months ago now, uh, I think it was October last year, and I was supposed to leave in June, having put a succession plan and so on in place and all of that. But um, the first quarter of this year delivered stuff that nobody expected. And uh, so uh, we've sort of rolled with the punches a bit. And uh, But John, John Gilly and I uh, have been talking about it recently, so we pretty much set on this plan for my, my exit uh, pretty soon. <laughs> That's exciting to see yeah. where the future goes, John. And I know it's certainly, um, there's certainly going to be a lot of us who are going to miss you in the business. I first joined Kintech a little over 10 years ago. And my oh. first and earliest memory was, uh, it was actually meeting you for my job interview oh. in a Kintech office that was busting at the scenes in, in Dubai. In fact, there was no, there was no space for interview room. So I think you'd kind of taken over a, a neighboring business's office space just to hold interviews. Um, and I remember meeting you and within a very short period of time, just thinking there's something really exciting here. And, and this guy is somebody I want to work for and with. And, and, and I was hooked from that moment. So that's certainly a warm memory that I'm always going to have of, of uh, my introduction. On. So it's going to be yeah. it's going to be a big thing when we no longer work together. But um, it's very yeah. exciting to see what happens in the future steps. I remember so, it well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you were late for that interview, John. I think I was sitting there for about fifteen minutes, thinking, "What kind of outfit is this? That they're going to be late. Make me wait for the interview to happen." <laughs> that was the test, man. That was the test. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. Uh, that's great. So also looking ahead and thinking about the next generation of people joining our industry, John, if there's one piece of advice you could give um, to the young ones coming in, what would it be? Uh, yeah, uh, it's really, uh, I suppose, to experiment and to question. not to settle for, you know, good enough. And to always remember you have a choice. Uh, it's very difficult sometimes, and, you know, but when I look at today's generation, 
maybe it's just my perception, but they, but they appear to have more choice and they appear to be more, to be more prepared to, to exercise choice. Uh, when I come from a generation where, you know, you, you, were, you know, as I said earlier, uh, you're made to feel, aren't you lucky you have a job type of thing? And, and we did. I mean, I put up with, I put up with um, uh, bosses down through the years that I wouldn't put up with now. Uh, not for very long, but I did from time to time. And I worked with individuals that I, I would certainly choose not to have worked with uh, from time to time. Um, but anyway, it's about now. I think there is choice there. Uh, however, there seems to be huge pressure on young people uh, to, you know, there are different types of pressures and um, to make the right choices and, 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 and uh, you know, get certain things in their lives which are really important uh, to them. Uh, so the pressures are still there. If anything, the pressures are more. But go back to the choices. So really what I'm saying to young people, if you're in a job you don't like, you can leave. You know, if you're working with somebody you don't like, you can leave. If if you're with somebody, if you're a partner, you can leave, you can do something. Or the other option you have is, is to somehow change the way you think about it because that can also work. And, um, you know, so in, in, the, in the current environment in particular, where, you know, maybe hopefully temporarily, the world is on its head in terms of there might appear to be limited choices. Um, but, you know, so even in the COVID situation, uh, as I said, they talk about, uh, you know, inverted commas, the new normal and whatever the new normal is, um, there probably still is a huge resentment about that right now, but it mightn't change that much for a while. So what do you do in the meantime? Do you continue uh, to sort of rage at the world because, okay, nothing's perfect here and I can't do what I want to, or do you sort of accept it and make the choice that, you know, uh, this is what's going on and this is the playing field we all have to work in and I just have to make the best of it I can. Um, I know it's a bit of a dark way to look at it, but I read uh, Viktor Frankl's uh, book recently, Man's Search for Meaning, and Viktor Frankl um, is a Holocaust survivor, and he was a, you know, he's a, I think he's a qualified neurologist, but he was in Auschwitz for a number of years, and uh, so, you know, he, he talks about uh, the one thing that they couldn't take away from him, or from any, from any of the inmates, uh, or the, the survivors that's a the people who survived is their 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 freedom to choose to choose how they thought about things so that even in the worst situations in dire circumstances of, of, of say uh, concentration camp uh, they found a way to find meaning by uh by deciding how they thought about things and uh by uh, maintaining hope and they got them through and they were the people who survived um I know that's a really dark way to look at it, but you know, sometimes we have choice uh, to leave. Sometimes we have to say, but we can cho always choose how we think about things, and uh, that's a very important uh, message I, I would say for people um, going out. And I think maybe for the young generation, younger generation, and in the social media world, that where it goes wrong is where they feel that unless it's perfect it's not acceptable but 
everybody has an imperfect world. And so there's that element where the choosing of how you think about it is really important because it's it's just life. Uh, I don't know. Mm, That's sort of... wise words to finish this up on, John. It's great. Thank you very much for spending time with us. Thank you very much for joining Spark Generation. It's been great chatting with you today. Thanks a lot, Mandy. It's been a pleasure. Experiment, question, and never settle for good enough. We all have a choice and can change our future at any time. John's words and advice there for the next generation of people entering our industry perfectly reflects the culture and mindset of who we are at Kentech. If you like this podcast and would like to hear more, please subscribe. And until next time, take care and stay safe.